names or places begin with a particular letter of the alphabet. Uh, we began this many, many years ago with the letter A, and uh, we are now up to those whose names begin with the letter P. So throughout the summer, uh, you can be thinking about uh, who might be coming next. This morning, we meet a woman by the name of Pua, and uh, she stands for us as a wonderful example uh, in the midst of uh, some very oppressive times, but yet we also see God's graciousness uh, in providing her with motherhood as well. Exodus chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. As the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Thumb and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out. And the Egyptians were in dread, the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves." And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and were, grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank we can gather here and worship you. We thank you for this scripture that you have provided for us here to see the godly example of of. <clears throat> we thank you for the godly example of the mothers and grandmothers here in this church. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. 
So three points this morning from this passage. First of all, living in a culture of oppression. Secondly, serving in a culture of oppression. And thirdly, blessed in a culture of oppression. And of course, there is more to this than simply an Old Testament story from the book of Exodus chapter 1. This is a reminder of how it is that God's people throughout the ages are called upon to live, serve, and will indeed be blessed. And whether that be in the past or certainly for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the present or whether that be that which in God's providence is the foretaste for you and I or for our children or for our grandchildren, it is good for us to stop and to consider how it is that we are to live, how it is that we are to serve, and how it is that we will be blessed even when we are living in oppression and a time of oppression. Now, I want you to know what begins this. Part of the reason that we get to the point where this passage takes us with the drowning of baby boys and in the Nile, with the attempt to have them killed upon the birth stool, or with the first attempt, which was to depress the people of Israel um, by slavery. It begins with a lack of knowledge, a lack of historical knowledge. It's interesting that verse 8 does not say, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know the Lord. That's almost a given. Why would the king of Egypt know the Lord? Well, we had the testimony of Joseph. We had the message of Joseph. We had the people of Israel there living amongst them. But the text says he didn't know Joseph. History is important. With what we see taking place in our nation our nation today, with the rewriting of history, with the recasting of historical figures, one can see down the road where that leads. If you don't know history, you're going to get lost. And eventually, you're going to live in a land of oppression we will soon forget if we have not already done so. The great heroes of this nation. We have already done and have already participated in the failure to remember the great heroes of the Christian faith. You might stop to think about the given ages of those who now presently serve in such places as the United States House of Representatives. And you might reflect upon the fact that many of those who are so young, who are so progressive, have been educated at a time when history was not taught. They do not know. Just like the king of Egypt didn't know Joseph. He didn't know what Joseph had done. 
He didn't know how Joseph had, through God's blessing, obviously, saved the nation of Egypt from a famine that would have surely wiped them out. But he doesn't know. It's been rewritten. It's been recast. We have new history books out. Now, to be sure, one thing we have to keep in mind is this is about 300 years later. Interesting. It's interesting. About 300 years after the history that established the people of Israel in Egypt, we finally have a new king who does not know Joseph. About the same amount of time that we've been a nation, that we've lived on this soil. But I would imagine many young people today, many college graduates, could not identify some of the great characters of either the Christian faith or of our history. The oppression begins with a lack of historical knowledge. He did not know who Joseph was. Secondly, the oppression also takes place because there is a fear of the people of God. He is afraid. And the nation of Egypt is afraid. Who are they afraid of? The people of God. They are afraid of the Israelites. They are afraid of those who are in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. They're afraid. Every attempt to oppress the church of Jesus Christ, to oppress the people of God, is because the world is afraid of the church. The change that we see about us is not because they are unaware of who we are. They are fully aware of who the church of Jesus Christ is and the power of the church and the influence of the church. And it is that influence, that godly influence, that they want to seek to oppress. Oh, the king here gives a a line of, You know, well, what if they join with our enemies? What if these people that are part of this nation were to join with our enemies? There's no basis for that. There was no call for that. That's an excuse. It's an excuse he gives to sell the people of Egypt on the idea that they ought to begin oppressing the Israelites. And how much in our day and age is not said that is blatantly a lie about the church. Well, if you let those Christians be in control, this is what's going to happen. If you let the Christians in control, there won't be compassion anymore. If you let the Christians in control. And there's no basis for it. There's no call for it. But notice how the king of Egypt is creating the oppression out of fear of the people of God. Thirdly, these people that we're reading about here in Exodus chapter 1, in particular, 
Shipra and Pua are living in a, in a culture of oppression because the enslavement has begun. And that enslavement, as I mentioned before, is meant to depress, to keep down. Look at verse 11. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, he is seeking to keep them down. What's he trying to do? He's trying to tire them out. He's trying to wear them down. Tire them out and wear them down so they don't what? Procreate. He doesn't want their numbers going up. And before he jumps into throwing babies in the Nile, he is simply making life hard and difficult. Long hours. Strenuous labor. Ah, they probably won't have so many kids anymore. They probably won't go that route. That's what he is attempting to do. This is not a punishment as much as it is an attempt to control their population. Third, fourthly, notice there is a continuing and growing concern. But the more, verse 12, they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread it abroad. Notice what happens. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They're in dread. They fear. They've tried to suppress them. They've tried to oppress. They've tried to keep the numbers down. And they can't do it. And it only increases the alarm. It only increases the fear. These people are living in a time of oppression. Secondly, in the midst of this time, we read of two women, two women who are serving. They have a job. They have a task. They have a role. They have a responsibility. They have a calling. That they are seeking to carry out in the midst of this oppression. What has the oppression become? become kill the baby boys. Now the women were given their names. Shipra, which means beautiful, and Pua, which means one who cries out, are Hebrew names. I know that you, you can read different commentaries and some will imp, um, um, imply, see there's still that COVID cloud thing. Some would still imply that they are Egyptians who serve the Hebrews. And they'll give you two or three reasons why that may be true. But if you read through the commentaries, then they present all the reasons why, eh, that's probably not likely. These are Hebrew women. They have Hebrew names. The language of this passage stresses the idea they are Hebrew midwives. They're not midwives for the Hebrews. 
If that's what Moses wanted to convey, he would have conveyed it that way. But it's their Hebrews who are also midwives, Shipra and Puah. They're recorded in the Word of God. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Right? Here are names. Notice the king's name doesn't get recorded. He's, he's the king of the Egyptian domain. He's the pharaoh. No name. Two women who serve as midwives. They get their names mentioned. That by itself does it not lift them out of the pages of Scripture that says God is identifying them. God knows them. God is fully aware of who these women are who are seeking to serve in the midst of all of this oppression. Now we might say, now wait a minute. We have some numbers. We, we, we know that there are at least 600,000 men at this time in Israel. Wouldn't it be likely, we're dealing with maybe 400,000 families, to have only two women delivering babies? That doesn't seem possible. I, I'm, I'm not sure how many uh, baby doctor deliverers there are in Grand Rapids, but I can pretty much guarantee you there's probably more than two. Right? Plus, they, they, they don't come to them. The, the midwives go to them. What, what does that mean? It means most likely that these two women are called because they're probably the two supervisors. They're the ones who, as it were, run the operation. They run the Israelite midwife operation center. And he calls them in and he, and he gives them an order. This is what you are to do. And we know, don't we not, from, from the Lucases, from Rachel Anderson's uh, training, that there's a lot that goes into this. This doesn't just show up at a house and deliver a baby. There's all sort of education that goes into this. There is all sorts of training. The medical aspect of it. Right? We have examples in the Old Testament where, where we have children who are, who are breached. We have children in some circumstances where there are twins and they, as it were, turn over in the process of, of the last moments of birth. You've got to know your stuff. This isn't just show up and deliver on the side of the road. You gotta, you've got to be ready for all sorts of circumstances. These are trained professionals who have knowledge not only of the physical, but the emotional. Rachel's going to die giving birth. And you read the account, and there is certainly an exchange of comfort that is going on. There is the spiritual awareness. We know from uh, Jewish history, for example, that these women, upon the birth of children, offered prayers. They have to be knowledgeable. They have to be aware. These two women are called in before Pharaoh and are told. What are they told? Here's his command. Kill the sons while they're in the process of being born. Let the daughters live. 
kill the boys. So while you're there, you're delivering the baby. As you see that the baby is a boy, kill it. This isn't abortion. This is infanticide. This is killing the child after it's born. Kill it. If it's a boy, don't let it live. Whatever it takes, suffocate, however you're going to do this. But let the daughters live. Have you ever wondered about that aspect of it? Why does he want the daughters to live? Why, why doesn't he want to kill them all? He's concerned about the population. Why isn't he concerned about the daughters? Because what's going to happen to the daughters? They're going to marry Egyptian men. Now he has a mixed race. And he has succeeded. Because those Egyptian men are going to side with the Egyptians because they are Egyptians. So he's allowing for the generations to continue as long as it's mixed. It's as if he wants the mixture. He doesn't want to kill off all the Israelites. He doesn't have any slaves then. But he wants a mixed race. Between those who are Egyptian and those who are Israelite. Isn't it interesting that when we think about that and we apply it then to the book of Revelation and we think about that church of Laodicea, that it's that, it's that lukewarmness. Oh, that's what Satan loves. Satan just loves that mixture. Right? He, he realizes, you see, that the mixture between, we would say today, believer and unbeliever is even, is, is even more devastating to the church than if you got rid of them all. That's his command. But what happens? Well, look at verse 17. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king said. They are in disobedience. They do not do it. They do not kill these male children. Well, why not? Because they fear God. Right? Because they have the Ten Commandments. They have the two pieces of stone, and it says, thou shalt not kill. And you're going to look at me and say, no, Pastor Bob, that happens in Exodus chapter 20. This is Exodus chapter 1. You're right. They don't even have the law. Not in that sense do they have the law. But they have the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, etched upon their hearts. They have the knowledge of God. They know, for example, the story right, of Cain and Abel and the shedding of blood and that we're not supposed to shed man's blood. They know that this is wrong. They understand that this would be a sin against God. See, they fear God. They don't fear the king. They don't fear what the king is going to do. They don't fear what this powerful monarch pharaoh can do to them. That they do not fear. What they fear is God. And because they fear God, they do not do it. Now, it must not have taken long, as we read through the text, for the Pharaoh to figure out, something's not working here. How come we still got so many baby boys around? 
So he calls them in. What's going on? Listen to their answer. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Well, why do they got midwives in the first place then? What has happened? Well, we could go down the route and say, they lied. Well, that would be a problematic issue though, wouldn't it? How is it that one command, thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not lie, oh, that one command is more important than the other. So are they lying? No, I think they're absolutely telling the truth. Hebrew women give birth before we get there. one 800 midwife Yes, my wife is in labor. She's about due. Okay, we'll be there as soon as we can get there. You want to pour me another cup of coffee? Let's just take our time on this one. No reason to really hurry. We know Hebrew women are strong. Okay, now we'll make our journey. Oh, look at that. A baby boy's been born. Well... Okay, it's not on the birth stool. That's when the king said we ought to kill it. And they're already wrapped and in a little cradle. Sorry, we don't have to fulfill the command anymore because that's not the time. So they didn't lie. The Hebrew women gave birth to these children before the midwives arrived. But at the same time, the Hebrew midwives did not do what the king commanded. They honor God. They fear God. Living in the midst and serving in the midst of oppression means you need to be as wise as a serpent, but you need to be as innocent as a dove. It means you need to be wise. It means you need to be shrewd. Need you, means you need to be alert. But at the same time, it always has to be absent of sin. It always has to be absent of anything that would remotely be connected to a sin. That's how you serve. That's how you serve God. That's how you fear God in the midst of oppression. That's what these Hebrew midwives did, Shipra. And Pua. The response, isn't it interesting that the Pharaoh doesn't say, kill them. Kill these two women. They're lying to me. I would think that would be the response if it were an outright lie. But he doesn't. He does nothing to them. We'll come to that in a minute. But he does issue the next proclamation, stage three of that he now arrives at. Egyptians, if you find a baby Israelite, throw it in the river. Give it to the crocodiles. Give it to the water. Give it over. Throw it in. 
One wonders how often that happened. One wonders how often people actually did it. But when we read the account of Moses' birth, there is certainly great fear on the part of Amram and Jochebed, Moses' parents, enough to craft that little ark to put it in the bulrushes. There, there was enough concern. So it must have happened frequently enough that it's like we have to take some action. But let's get back to the two women. Because you see, they're living in this time of oppression. They're serving in this time of oppression. But do you see God's blessing? God's blessing in the midst of this culture of oppression that they are living in. Look at verse 21. And because they feared God. God gave them families. Because they feared God. We have, we, see, we have to go back in the passage. Wait, what does that mean they feared God? They did not do what the Pharaoh commanded. They didn't participate in that sin. They didn't join in with it. They feared God. Now comes... And because they feared God, see, the blessings of God come when we are obedient to God. God does not ever bless disobedience. God does not ever reward disobedience. God only rewards obedience, faithfulness. That's what they were. They Feared God. The word fear here does not mean tremble at. It means they had a healthy, strong relationship with Yahweh. They were in a covenantal relationship with Yahweh. Shipra and Pua. Two Hebrew midwives in a strong, healthy, vibrant covenant relationship with God. They feared the Lord. And God blessed them. How so? He gave them families. He gave them families. Psalm 127 verse 3, children, are a great reward. I hope every one of you who, who is a mother here this morning can say that. Children are a great reward. Because that's what the Lord says. That's what the Lord says to covenant mothers. To covenant families. Children are a great reward. They're not a bother. They're not a pain. Oh, they can be. But they really aren't. God says they're a reward. We see that evidenced in this passage. He gave them families. Because of their relationship with him, he blessed them. It, it makes it sound, does it not, like they didn't have them prior to this. 
Almost makes it sound like Shipra and Pua might have been maybe older. Never had them. But now they did. God intervenes. And isn't it interesting? We have a Pharaoh who's trying to eliminate families, and we have a God who's giving families. Even to those who seemingly appears could not have them prior. God opens wombs. Children are indeed a reward. They're a blessing. They are a treasure. Mom, I hope you get a lot of nice cards today. I hope you get some nice gifts. Okay? But I hope you can honestly look around that table today and say, I have a great reward. God has blessed me. He has allowed me to be a mother. But there's just one more point I want to make. God made you a mother. God made you a mother. Your husband didn't make you a mother. You didn't make you a mother. God did. The only reason that that life conceived within you was because of God. The only reason that child grew and developed was because of God. The only reason that child entered into this world was because of God. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Understand. That in the midst of a society and a world that looks down more and more and more so upon you as a mother. In a society that makes it even more and more and more convenient for you not to be a mother. A society that allowed you, if you had chosen to go to an abortion clinic while you couldn't buy cucumber seeds. Last spring. In a society of oppression. Understand that if you have the privilege of being a mother today, it is because of God. And he has given you A glorious, wonderful, high, exalted, privileged calling. Because no matter what they figure out to do, we're never going to do it, are we, guys? Only you. And they feared God. And God blessed them. And gave them families of their own. Many of you, most of you, if not all of you, as mothers today here, can say that.
feared God. And God blessed me with a family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its reminder upon this day of your glorious workings, of your glorious providences, of this beautiful, powerful example in a society of oppression of two women, two women who stand up saying, no, no, we will not do what the king has commanded. Because we fear God. Oh, Father, we pray that not only here, but throughout our communities, throughout our state, throughout our nation, and indeed throughout our world, there might be more and more godly, bold, courageous mothers who, because they fear God, say, no, no, I will not disobey the Lord, and that you will bless them abundantly. And that, Father, if you would be gracious to add even more mothers, ah, Father, we give you the honor and glory and praise for this too is your work. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.